Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I'm Joe and with me tonight, as always, is Mitch. Hey, Ali. Back to normal this month, just the two of us. Yep. And we are going back to something that I actually know about, unlike that little bit of Quasar last month that I didn't know too much about. But we've mentioned him many times and since we are coming up to the letter R, we thought we would go Reynolds. Yep. But not Ryan. No, he's dead. Is it? No. No, I didn't see that part on the wiki. But no, we are going R for Burt Reynolds. Burt. And we have mentioned, as I said, we've mentioned him many times on the show as being the greatest actor of our youth. He's not even the greatest actor of R. Really? Yeah, there's one better. First name, Kurt. What's he? I don't know. I, I Kurt Russell is the greatest. We possibly could have gone Kurt Russell, but we've already done Escape from New York is that in our E episode. But we haven't talked about the computer war tennis shoes. No. We haven't talked about the thing. With whose thing? Anyway, it's but not no. Kurt Russell. That's coming later. Is it? Yes. Okay, when we do our second alphabet. <laughs> yes, or Massive Attack Russell. Greek alphabet episodes. <laughs> yep. Okay, no, we, well, we couldn't because we've already done Omega for Omega Man. Anyway, we're rambling and we've only just started. <laughs> yes. But tonight we are looking at Burt Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Now, Possibly one of the greatest actors from the years 1977 to 1981. Well, he was, in fact, the most bankable star for those years. And you can see why. He just has charisma out of the wazoo. Yes. He had that awesome mustache, except in except one of the movies, of the we're, movies we're going to talk, talk about. about. But for me, I didn't see... Right, okay, we're, we're jumping the gun. Right. Let's just talk about Burt Reynolds a little bit first. Burt the man. So, Burt Reynolds was born, born February 11, 1936. That's a long time ago now. Yeah. So, even when he was doing his thing in the 70s, he was quite an older man at that stage. He was 40. Yeah. He, our age <laughs> now. Yes. Yeah. But he didn't look like an older man. No. He looked like just your average leading man he on TV like and stuff. The man. Hmm. But yes, so Burt Reynolds got his big break in television firstly. Yep. He was in Gunsmoke for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then I think he was in something else after that. Something called Dan August. Which I'd never heard of. No. I've watched Gunsmoke, but I don't really remember I, him in Gunsmoke. No, I wouldn't have picked him in it. That way for years. But he oh, kind no. of got his big break in movies in Deliverance. That was his big break. That was his breakout role. Yeah. Which is no moustache, so it's like weird to see him in that. But yeah, that was his breakout star. And it was also the same year he did the Cosmo, the famous Cosmo centerfold shoot where he got his little bird out. Yeah, so he was like a star then. He'd done TV and small movie roles up until that point. And you think of Deliverance, you think Burt Reynolds. But like you said before we were recording, it wasn't really a Burt Reynolds film because it's no. more a John Voight film and then probably a Ned Beatty film under that and then a Burt Reynolds film. Yeah, but we've decided that we're going to look at Deliverance. We're also going to look at two movies from our youth that really cemented Burt Reynolds as being the man for us, yes. and that is Smoking the Bandit and Cannibal Run. Obviously, he's done a hell of a lot more, and I know for a fact I've seen a hell of a lot more of his movies. Yep. But these are the ones we are going to concentrate on tonight so we don't go totally rambly. Yes. So, should we jump into Deliverance? Well, let's just, just a few facts here about him as a star, and then okay. we'll go into the film. He was a high school footballer. I did read that. Very good. And an injury in college sort of set him back from being a potential pro footballer. And he became a copper. Because I think his dad was like a police chief at one stage. And his dad convinced him to go back to college and finish. And that's where his English teacher convinced him to try drama. And obviously he made the correct choice because he did okay out of it. Well, he did file for bankruptcy and 
the late 90s or early 2000s, so maybe not that well, but he did well, all right for a while. He also branched out and had a musical album and was he a country singer and, and restaurants and he had his own museum and stuff. So I think probably filing for bankruptcy was more that he was just wearing himself a little bit yes, thin. was not the Burt Reynolds of 1981 no. either. Two roles he turned down. Did you read that? I didn't. No, he turned down the role of James Bond. Really? Yes, and it went to George Lazenby and he also turned down the role of Han Solo. I Actually, I did know that just slipped my mind i do remember reading that it's just such a very different thing to think of but yes all right so let's jump into deliverance we we are going to go probably a little bit spoilery for people that haven't seen this movie from you know the early 70s 1972 possibly older than some of our listeners maybe it's older than one of the hosts of the show (laughs) yes true all right, so Deliverance is the story of a group of four Atlanta city boys that find out that a power company is going to be damming one of the rivers in rural Georgia, and they decide that they should have a boys... Not with faint praise, an actual physical dam. <laughs> yes, yeah? a physical dam. <laughs> yeah. Not a mental dam. Or a dental dam. <laughs> or a dental dam. No, but they're going to be damming this river. And it's going to mean that they won't be able to go canoeing and rapiding. No, it's going to flood a town. Yeah, it's going to flood a town. So they decide to go to this town and go on a bit of a canoe trip from there to another town and just generally get out in the wild for a bit. Yeah, and it's sort of like two adventurous sort of friends and two of their other friends who don't do it as much. So you sort of get that established in the intro to the show. And the way it was talking, because you got them in two cars driving in these bush tracks getting to where they have to get to. And you're sort of getting this discussion that, oh, they're going to damn this, we're going to lose that, and industrialization and progression. And I thought it was going to be sort of a... A greeny sort of movie? In a way. Like, yeah. what are they talking about exactly? It was going to have a theme or is it going to have a message? But no, not really in the end. <laughs> I thought it was going somewhere that it wasn't. <laughs> and I had seen this movie before, and that's iconic for so many reasons, and I knew about those. But watching it again, it's like, I don't know this film at all. So, yeah, it was good seeing it with fresh eyes. And one thing I'll say, it's beautiful. Oh, it is it's very a well gorgeous-looking film. John Borman is the director who's done things like Excalibur, so it's not like he's a Zados. hack. And Zados, yeah. He's not a hack. No. That's for sure. But, yeah, it's a beautiful-looking film. Yeah, it, well, I didn't see this, obviously, in the 70s when it came out because I would have been, you know, one. Mm. But I think it was probably only in the last five years that I've actually seen it because it's one of those movies that everyone talks about, one scene in particular, or two scenes, actually. There's the dueling band Joe's scene near yep. the start mm-hmm. and, and there's the squeal, the, like the, the squeal like a pig hillbilly rape scene and that's the bit that everyone talks about and when you have no reference of what the movie's about and someone says to you there's a rape scene and they tell them to squeal like a pig I, I didn't really understand the magnitude of that scene until I watched the movie I don't think Ned Beatty understood the magnitude <laughs> no and then when it happens it's sort of like well I wasn't expecting that even though I knew that there was going to be that scene mm. so we're kind of dancing around the All subject right. so to recap the plot these four guys going on their canoe trip they're heading into deep Georgia they're going deep yes yes and we're talking you know hillbillies I mean I don't know if hillbillies were a term oh I'm sure they were the backward ass hillbillies like I, I, think I think when they're in the car when they first rock up to that petrol station they're sort of talking about hillbillies yeah so I mean but this is when you get the toothless hillbillies I, I don't know maybe they're reinforcing the stereotype or have they recreated the stereotype for a modern audience for us to know what a hillbilly is but I think so because if for me when I think hillbillies, I think sort of Ozark Mountains and Arkansas and that sort of stuff. I don't think Georgia. But You're the, going wacky races, aren't you? Yeah, I am. What is it, the Arkansas, Arkansas Chuggabug? Chuggabug yeah. But the people in this are like the Arkansas Chuggabug. Yeah, so they come across and they get petrol or they want to get directions and there's some interesting looking folk that they find. And there's a very, 
special looking kid <laughs> playing his, where the dueling banjo scenes come from, where you've got this kid who looks a bit not quite right playing his banjo and then Ronnie Cox, is it? Yeah, I always get confused. Which one's Ronnie Cox and which one's Ned Beatty? Ned Beatty got raped. Raped. Yeah, so it's Ronnie Cox that's got the guitar. Yeah, so he's playing guitar and then this kid's playing the banjo and they end up playing dueling banjos, which is like the iconic scene, iconic music from the show. Now, definitive music. If you want to represent hillbillies musically, you play dueling banjos and you know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. It's a great scene. Like, they've really done well. And it's... it's like it is, dueling banjos, even though one's a guitar, but it's fine. But my favourite bit is just they're talking to, they're getting petrol from the guy and he just starts dancing. He's doing a jig. <laughs> and apparently that was just, he just did that. Like the guy did it. It wasn't scripted. It was just sort of like the guy just started dancing. It's like, that's awesome. And it works because it, it brings out the idiosyncrasies is probably the best way to say it, of the, the strange backwards people. It's the other. They really are. It's different. You don't quite understand. So they end up going up and they start travelling down. They get they get they meet two guys who are pretty intense. Yeah, so they've got their cars, but they want to go from one town to another or you know, down the river. So they hire a couple of the locals to drive their cars down to Daintree, I think it is, or yep. some other town further. I mean down. they haggle on price, he ends up giving him forty bucks to drive down, which I'm thinking in nineteen seventy two that's quite a bit. Oh yeah. That'd be like a couple the of The car bucks itself now. was probably only worth about fifty bucks. So they get that and it's intense because you've got even when they were getting the petrol, I think the Ned Beatty character more than anyone, they're sort of picking on the hillbillies. Yeah. The locals are sort of like talking down to and this and that. And you sort of get a vibe of better than and all this sort of stuff. And when they get they meet these two other guys to drive the car down and ask them to do it, they're sort of pushing each other's buttons. And it's like, it's tense. Especially Burt Reynolds himself. He plays the character Lewis. And Lewis is the real outdoorsy. He's the man's man. And yeah. he, he seems to know things that the others don't. And he's, yeah, he's very much an outdoor man. And he's like, you know, don't trust these hillbillies. Let's do this. And he's the one that's really haggling on the price. Yeah. And he's the one that's really just driving the whole, yeah, we're going to get to the river here, we're going to go from this town to this town before it floods. Mm. Um, yeah, but then they get onto the river, and I guess everything's kind of going well it's that fine. first I mean, day. you got these guys having adventures, like literally just canoeing as peaceful and tranquil and beautifully filmed. They stop, they camp for a night, that's all great too. They hit some rapids, you know, it gets a bit adventure It's like a boys' own adventure movie in a way. Yeah, and I think that's where you start to see a little bit of tension in the, in the group as well, because Lewis... Burt Reynolds is very much, he knows what he's doing, hence the fact that when they first rock up, he's wearing his wetsuit. Already wearing his wetsuit. Yeah, even when they're just yeah. driving around in his car. And but, he's out fishing with the bow and arrow. Like, yeah. literally, he's got a bow and arrow tied to a string and he's shooting at fish. But yeah, he's yelling at the other guy in the canoe, paddle this way, do this thing, you know, don't do that sort of thing. And he's getting a little bit like, well, I thought we were meant to be having a, a fun, relaxing weekend and yep. yelling at me all the time. So yeah, they camp out for the night, they have a few drinks. Burt Reynolds kind of wanders around in the forest, kind of looking outdoorsy. Mm making reference to the fact that, you know, this is all going to be gone when the river comes flooded. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. There's a message to this movie, I'm sure. And and they do talk about killing cause, and hunting, you yep. know, say. And other people in the movie, Ned Beatty we talked about, and there's also John Voigt, who's – is he sort of the best friend? I think so. Burt Reynolds? Yep. And he's done the outdoory stuff with him. He's the one who's sort of – been on the adventures with him before and he ends up grabbing his bow and goes out hunting and he tries to kill a deer and you can see there's turmoil and inner angst as to can I do it should I do it and all this and it's yep. sort of pre-setting the tone for what's to come later yeah it's kind of cool they come back and they get back in their canoes and off they go and two of the guys they go stop to have a piss and they sort of get separated John Voigt and Ned Beatty they sort of pull over to the side in their canoe and they go to have a piss I'm assuming they're stopped for yeah, whatever yeah I think that's reason. what they've stopped for I don't and know why you wouldn't just piss over the side of the canoe but you know. yeah well they can it doesn't matter like there's no one literally no one around or is there 
Well, there is. Because they meet these two dudes, hillbillies, like toothless hillbillies. And yeah, it's not pretty. No. So initially they're in the woods and they're just sort of minding their own business. And they look up and they can see the two hillbillies. And the hillbillies sort of come over and sort of give them the, what are you doing in our forest? Yeah, what walk. are you doing here? And the, the city boys are all like, you know, we don't care if you've got a still. We won't tell anyone. What are you, what are you talking about still? What? Yeah, yeah, so there's, there's tension. There's high yeah. tension. He's got a shot. One of the dudes got a shotgun. Yeah. And is aiming it at them, saying, you stand there. What are you doing? It doesn't get pretty. Then they force them up the hill. Then they tie John Voigt to a tree by a belt, like around his neck. And they make Ned Beatty get his gear off, even his panties. Yeah. yeah. And that's when the infamous rape scene happens. It's like, squeal like a pig. And it's, a, it's not one take, but it's... Almost one take. It's long, and Ned Beatty said he wanted to do it once and once only. I can see why. Yeah, because it, was... it, well, it it escalates pretty quickly because he's there just in his big white undies, mm-hmm. and the hillbilly's saying, "Oh, you look like a big hog," and he's riding him like a hog, and then it goes from I, I would say sweet and innocent riding him like a hog, but it's not really no, sweet and innocent. No. But it goes from riding him like a hog to riding him like a hog. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, and it happened a lot back then. They did a lot of filming for the cinema and a lot of filming for the TV version. Okay. So there's different versions of the story of who came up with the line, but the squeal like a pig was sort of came up with on the set and apparently there was a much more graphic version for the movie they were going to do. Whether they filmed or not, I'm not sure, but someone came up with the line, squeal like a pig, and it's like, oh, that kind of works. And they used it and he liked it so much that he used it for both versions. He didn't okay. use the more explicit version in the film. It works. I mean, it's iconic. Everyone talks about yeah, it now. Yeah, exactly. So that sort of happens. He has his way with him and then it's up to the other guy to have some fun so they untie John Voight and they get get down on their knees and pray that guy's got a pretty mouth which is probably the other famous line from this movie yep and yeah, so things are not looking well for John Voight until he sees behind the two guys that are attacking them. Our man, Bert, with his bow and arrow. And needless to say, one of the guys gets an arrow through the chest. Yeah. The they end up grabbing the gun off the other guy and he runs off. So yeah. it's like, where did that come from? Because you got this, yes, there was tension earlier. And it's not those two guys from earlier, but it's it's interesting. And it was an adventure film to a point. Now it's become a escape survival film yeah, exactly. It's, it's totally become a survival film because you then have that mentality or they have that mentality that a couple of them are, oh, we've got to go and tell the sheriff. Yep. And Burt Reynolds is kind of like, well, you know, this is Southern justice. How do we know that this man's not the brother of the sheriff? And when we get there, they're going to be, you know, taking Yeah, and he goes, I'm going to have three of their family members on the jury. Do you really want to deal with that? Yeah. So it's all like this really intense debate between the guys about what do we do? It's like we just go. <laughs> and yep. do they, they bury him. Burt and they, and they, the argument is – they're going to flood the town. Yeah, yeah. so once it's flooded, it's going to be hundreds of feet underwater. So what difference does it make if there's a body at the bottom of the lake? Yep. Which is a pretty harsh thing to do, really. But Well, he has just sort of go through the chest with a bow and arrow. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it's intense. Like between now, it's okay. Everyone's got a different opinion and it's just so well filmed and really well acted. I mean, these are all have proved themselves to be good actors since, but, you know, I don't know what it would have been like at the time. Hmm. Were these a bunch of unknowns? Not some of them, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. So they start down the river again. It's like, they bury him. They sort of... Well, yeah, they make a vote and they sort of say, whoever gets the winning vote, that's the way we're going to do it and we're not going to talk about it again. Yep. So one of the guys is quite reluctant still. He, he really wants to go and tell the authorities. But they win out. They decide that they're going to go and bury
bury him. They go and bury him. They bury him with the shotgun, which I thought was weird. It was like, well, why didn't they just take the gun? But mm. that's beside the point. And they basically sort of go, yep, we're going to bury him. Then we're going to continue our raft run and we're never going to talk about this again. Yep. And obviously the guy that's been raped is like, well, I'm up for that. I never want to talk about that again. Yes. So they get back in their boats and off they go. Mm-hmm. And one of them, Ronnie Cox, yep. has a bit of a, a meltdown because he's the one that's very much the we should tell someone. Mm. And he doesn't put his life jacket back on and they get into a bit of rough water and he kind of blacks out and falls out of the boat. Well, that's the, and this is where there's dilemma. It's like, does he black out and fall out? But they all crash in the end and they're looking for him. Ned Beatty's saying, it was his mate. He shot him. He shot him. He's yep. up there. So you don't see or hear the shot, but that's what Ned Beatty says happens. But in the crash, Burt Reynolds has broken his leg. He's sort of out for the count. So John Voigt grabs the compound bow, climbs up the cliff and starts looking for him and finds him. Or does he? He finds someone. He finds someone with a gun. Yes. So they go, and they end up fighting. Well, not fighting, but one's got a gun, one's got a bow and arrow. John Voigt wins, but ends up hurting himself as well. But they end up getting the body down to the other guys, and they go, is that him kind of thing? And well, that's the thing, because the guy that was with the original rape scene had no teeth. Yep. And then when they find this guy, they're checking his mouth, and they're sort of like, is that the guy, is that the guy? But the guy that they've actually killed with a bow and arrow and dropped off the cliff has teeth. They did? And, that, and that's yeah. The, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, oh, did we just kill someone that was just in the wrong place at the right time, or did we just kill the but accomplice? But he did turn around and put the gun at him, but we don't know if he was We don't know if he was what? just hunting, and then if you see a, a shirtless John Voigt <laughs> coming up a cliff with a bow and arrow, it's like, what the fuck? I'm going to yeah. point my gun so at him. Needless to say, they wait down another body and send it to the bottom of the ocean, uh, the river, yep. and hitch up what they can. Yeah, so one they of the canoes- up Bert Reynolds and head in the one canoe and head down the river and keep yeah, going. Yeah, because the other canoe's actually been split in half by the rapids. And by this stage, Bert Reynolds has got a broken leg. He's pretty much He's delirious. Yep. And I think reading the wiki, they said he actually had a broken coccyx from one of the stunts. One of the stunts. Well, yeah, they didn't get insurance for the film. They did all their own stunts in this movie. Yeah. And there was one where there was a dummy in a canoe and sent it down the river and the stuntman and the coordinator and the photography goes, it looks like a dummy in a river in a, in a canoe, canoe when it yep. goes down. So they go, they filmed it with Burt Reynolds in a canoe and they filmed it. He broke his coccyx and they go, but how did it look? And he goes, it looks like a dummy in a canoe. In a canoe. So, yeah, so that was unfortunate. But yes, uh, so they do that. They head down the river again, all beaten and bruised and everything like that. And they come across Ronnie Cox's body. He's dead. Yeah. And not in the best shape, but he's dead and they find him and they're looking for bullet, bullet holes bullet or holes whatever, nothing yeah. and that could be a rock. He could just hit a rock. Yeah. And he's it's quite interesting too because he's there with his arm around his back looking very unnatural, but he's actually double jointed. He goes, look, I can do this if you want. It will look <laughs> weird. So he's just standing there with his arm. Imagine putting your arm Yeah, I wondered how head. they did that. Yeah, yeah he's double jointed. Okay. <laughs> That's why. So it looks, it looks rather nasty. Hmm. And they end up, they were going to grab him, but they didn't. They just sort of, did they sink him or just drop him down? I think they just unhooked him from the, the tree that he was stuck in and just let him sink to the bottom. Yeah, so they were debated again, do we take him or not? And they end up coming to an end and they found themselves back to civilization. They're going, all right, this is where everything happened. you got the story now. This is where it all happened. He fell out. Yeah, and I think initially they were really sort of trepidatious that the guys they paid to drive their cars down to the other town, would they do it? Mm. But as they pull the river, the boat's up to the boat, or the canoe up to the boat ramp, he looks up and he can see their cars just sitting there waiting for him. And John Voigt's got that, oh, they've they've done the right thing sort of look about him. Mm. And yeah, obviously both of them are pretty beaten up from the the ordeal. So they get there, they they find a phone, they ring the police, they get- An ambulance. um, Yeah, Burt Reynolds taken to hospital. And then you sort of see the the bit at the, with the sheriff where he's talking to John Voigt. 
And that's when the sheriff says, oh, my brother-in-law was out hunting and we haven't seen him. Yeah. And he's like, well, we haven't seen him sort of thing. We haven't seen anyone, no. Yeah, Yeah. and that's when you get that sort of doubt between John Voight and the other guy where they're sort of like, well, did we kill the right guy sort of thing. Mm. And then there's that last scene in the movie where they're discussing – who's going to go back and, and tell Ronnie Cox's wife wife what's happened on the river. Mm. And, and it's a real poignant ending. I think it's kind of like, you know, they've had this massive ordeal. And even before that, they're, they're talking to the police and they're like, oh, what's our story? And they're, and they're waiting to go into the hospital to see if they can get to Burt Reynolds before the police go and see him so they can kind of word him up to say, well, this is what we're going to see. Yep. And then Burt Reynolds is all like, oh, you know, I blacked out. What happened after the yeah, rapids? What I happened after the rapids? I don't remember. So he doesn't even know what happened with uh, him. He, he picked up on that. Yeah, he was maybe. saying the right thing. Yeah. But yeah, if I, I think it's a really well done movie. Yeah, I was impressed because I saw it probably 20 years ago. Yeah. But I don't remember a lot of it, so I obviously wasn't paying attention. But I was really impressed seeing it again. One, with the filmmaking. Two, with the performances. And it was just interesting. Like reading some of the reviews for it at the time, you know, they were saying it was a bit ballsy, a bit men's own adventure and this and that. And you could say violence solves everything. But I think it addressed it. The violence is not the way. It was, it was interesting in that way. And, you know, you had the deer hunter and things like that around the same time and I could sort of put that in the same realm of the deer hunter. I'd say yeah. just the way but it looks and feels. Before I saw it, I, I did used to think it was similar to the deer hunter in the fact that it was about Vietnam vets, but no. it, it isn't. It's nothing to do with that sort of stuff. It's just, yeah, it's it, it's really just that escalation of, of what would happen. But I was impressed with the pacing of the movie. Like a lot of 70s movies for me kind of drag a little bit, but I, I thought this movie, it's kind of slow in a little bit, but it's slow in a way that it builds the tension. It, yeah, it's intentionally drawn out rather than being boringly slow. But it did really well. Like the budget for the movie was only about two million, uh, and the fact that they did their own stunts and that sort of stuff, sort of you can see that obviously they didn't spend a lot of money on a lot of things. But it still made forty six million. That's a lot back in nineteen seventy two. Well, it's a lot, and it was actually the fifth, fifth highest grossing movie of the year. Yes, yeah, so I actually the top ten of that year. Oh, do you? Yes. So this is interesting, just to see what makes the top ten back then. Number ten, we had the Legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> okay, never yeah. heard of it. Number nine, Fritz the Cat. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. Number eight, The Getaway. Number seven, Cabaret. The Getaway is actually a really good movie. They did a remake of it with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. But mm-hmm. the original is actually a really good 70s okay. shoot 'em up gangster type movie. Number six, Jeremiah Johnson. Mm-hmm. Number five, Deliverance. Number four, Behind the Green Door. Okay. The porn film. Number three, What's Up, Doc? Number two, The Poseidon Adventure. Number one, The Godfather. See, yeah. That's quite a list of movies. <laughs> very, very different. <laughs> Hmm. Green Door and Fritz the Cat sort of blew me away on that one. Yes, and I mean, this is Burt Reynolds actually called it the best film he's been in. When did he say that? On the wiki. Did he say that in like 1973 when he'd only done No, like yeah, I think it was movies, in his. Or? He brought out a biography, autobiography okay. in 2000s, early 2000s, I think. All right. Well, shall we skip forward another five years after Deliverance? Unless you've got any more Deliverance I, facts. I have some more Deliverance facts here. In the year after the film's release, more than 30 people drowned in the Chattooga River while trying to replicate <laughs> the character's adventures. And how many people got hurt while they were replicating the squirrel like a pig scene? Oh, I think that a few people found. <laughs> Um, love during that time. Yeah, it's a movie that definitely holds up today. I don't know if it's important, but American government do. Because in 2008, Deliverance was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And I, think, I want to be aesthetically significant. <laughs> I think the whole Georgia Film Commission came about from the filming of this as well. 
I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. All so, right, so it, that's deliverance. Do we right. want to stay with Georgia? I think we should. All right. Let's stay with Bert Reynolds and Georgia. He's not from Georgia originally. No, he's from he? Michigan. Lansing, Michigan. So, so, he's a northerner, but he plays southerners quite a bit in his movies. But he's moved around a bit. His dad was in Florida for a while as well. Yeah, of course he was. So, he was in the army. He yeah. was old enough for that. Yeah. So, anyway, let's jump forward five years to 1977. And for me, this, when I was a kid, is the movie that made Burt Reynolds. Heck yes. And that's Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah! And I, I don't know about you, but I think I went through a stage sort of early 80s when I was just nuts for trucks. <laughs> I was trucks for nuts. <laughs> but there's the truck in Smoking the Bandit. Mm-hmm. And there was BJ the Bear with the big red Kenworth. Yep. And there was the movie Convoy. Yep. And for me- Not I was any just, which way but loose. Yeah, that too. And I'm sure a couple of years later when Over the Top came out, I was probably still in my truck phase. But you wanted to CB radio? I did. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to drive around in a truck and I wanted to just have truck and adventures. You wanted a big rig? I did. Yeah. And I do. <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're probably jumping the gut a little bit there as well. But So, Smoking the Bandit came out in 1977. Yes. It is a incredibly – well, it is a rob, but it's an incredibly strange premise based on fact that you couldn't get Coors beer in Atlanta. No, that, that's what fascinated me. I never picked up until today when I read the wiki as to why. Because, yes, the premise of this movie is the Bandit, which is Burt Reynolds, is a legendary truck driver, apparently. There's legendary truck drivers. Yes. And he is challenged by Big and Little Ennis, Paul Williams, yes. writer of the Rainbow Connection. As Little Ennis. Yes. Appropriately. Um, they want him to go and get Cause Beer and bring it back to Georgia. Now, why is that a big deal? Apparently, but there is an establishing first shot of the movie is a trucker being pulled up by the cops and wanting to see his inventory manifest. Manifest, yes. And it's like, nope, you can't bring beer over county lines. And apparently, yes, you could not transfer this particular type of cause beer. And the reason for it is, well, for whatever tax reasons, but also why was this beer so popular and how much were they going to pay for it is because apparently it was very high quality boutique beer with certain preservatives not in it. So therefore, it only had a small shelf life compared to others. That's why there was a time frame on it. I knew none of this until today, but I still love the movie. Yeah. Again, I didn't really know that at the time, but I, I always thought it was strange that they were paying all this money. To- $80,000 in 1977. Yeah, to go and drive from Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, across to Texarkana, Arkansas, load up with a truck full of cores, and then bring it back in time for the end of this big stock car race. Yep. And there are so many similarities in this movie for me to when we watched Dukes of Hazard. There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just feel that when I was watching this, I was like, oh, Dukes of Hazard stole a lot from this movie. But it's directed by Hal Needham. The Stuntman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Director think, of Rad. Yes. And a few other great movies, mm-hmm. which we may even talk about in a moment. But him and Burt Reynolds were quite good friends. I think he'd actually stunt doubled for Burt in a few movies. Mm-hmm. And I think Bert convinced him that he should come and direct this movie. Uh, well, he wrote this script and Bert read it and like it was going to be a cheap film. And yep. Bert said, I'll be in it. Yeah. So it became a $1 million budget to a $5 million budget just for the you know star power of Bert Reynolds being involved. Yeah, you've got Big Enos and Little Enos proposing to Bert to say, oh, the bandit, yep. oh, the bandit, and um, saying, can you do this run? He goes, well, I'm going to have to do it. It's going to cost this much money and we're going to do this. And what we'll need is a decoy car. Or a blocker. A blocker as they call it, which is the iconic because we talk about a lot of things that repeat on our podcast. And one of them is we love cars that are attached to 
TV and film. Yep. And the blocker is not a moonshiner like the General Elite. No, it is cops are paying attention to the truck we don't want to pay attention to, so we will distract you with this car and they will chase me. But it's going to need to be a fast car. Yeah. And they keep handing over cash. And it's like, faster than that, a little bit faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up getting the 1970, well, it's meant to be a 1977 Pontiac Firebird. Yeah. It's actually a 1976. We don't know this, obviously. Now we time. know. Yes. At the time, but it was the 1976 with a mocked up 1977 body front. Sort of thing, yeah. Yes. But yeah, if you know a black Trans Am with a big firebird on the bonnet, you know that's and the bandit's car. Yeah. There's no other name for it. And that sort of T-top, target top, whatever they call them with a, not quite a sunroof, but mm. the, the T-bar roof sort of thing so you can stand up out of it. Yeah. It, it is an iconic car. Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty quick the first part of the film. They get they get in the truck. He goes and convinces mate, the snowman. Jerry to- Reed, who also sang the songs for the soundtrack. Yeah, and I had to look up, he's a country and western singer mainly he has done acting but he yep. is mainly a singer and he's fantastic oh he's really good oh, isn't he he's yeah, good. and great comic timing with everyone yeah and it's weird because he drives around in the truck and he's got his dog with him as his companion not Flash no no it's Fred but just the rapport he's got even with his dog he's is awesome. like really good yeah so yeah they're, they're on the run and they actually get to Arkansas pretty quickly in the film. Yeah. They go there, no no hassles. They saw the, the track one cop, I think, on the way, and that's it. And they get there, load up the car. In a funny scene, when they turn up to where they've got to get the beer from, no one's there to do it. So they're just like bashing in doors and driving around on forklifts. And it's just- yeah, they pretty much steal a truckload of beer from this closed bottle shop. Yeah. But- and they leave a note saying, you know, Bill this to Big Enus and Little Enus. It's like, well, everyone must know who Big Enus and Little Enus are. But yeah, they load up. And- but the, the scene is just quite funny, just seeing these two guys look like they've been friends for years. Now, I don't know if Bert and Jerry are friends but they just come across as really good buddies and hanging out like this is what they've been doing for years. Yeah, so then it's on their way back and this is where they introduce Sally Field to the movie in a bridal dress and he pulls her over, she's hitchhiking, she's got a car that's sort of like broken down and she just hops in and does not stop talking. No. And interestingly, that Burt Reynolds has said that the love of his life probably is Sally Fields. But I don't think they ever were an item. No, in they dated life. after this. Oh, did they? Yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I often have my doubts whether Burt Reynolds bats for the other team. But No, he, he was is, married to Lonnie Anderson at one point. But again, I still have my doubts that he bats <laughs> for the other team. <laughs> But apparently he was a bit of a legendary pants man, wasn't he? Yeah. And he always plays that sort of role in his movies. So maybe he is. I don't know. I think he is. Yeah. But he builds up a quite a quick rapport with Sally Field. And mm-hmm. we find out that she's – well, she says she's a dancer. Is she a dancer or is she a stripper? No, she's a dancer. She is a dancer. Yeah. And she was going to get married to the sheriff's son. Yep. And she decides that it's too much for her and she runs away at the altar. Hence, she's wearing a wedding dress mm-hmm. when, when he picks her up. Yep. And this kind of cues the sheriff and the son to be chasing after them and the sheriff is Buford T. Justice played by Jackie Gleason in a very much like the boss hog sort of role Um. he's kind of Kind, to me, I just thought he was kind of like Enos and Boss Hog rolled into one. Yeah, he's not the Boss Hog as in the corrupt politician. Actually, he's not, just, not Enos. It should be Roscoe and Roscoe. Boss Hog. Yeah. He's just dogged. You know, his son was wronged and he wants to get yeah. punished. And then obviously, well, so he's after the bandit now. 
well, he doesn't know he's after the bandit. He just wants the daughter-in-law back because he spent all this money at forty dollars a head on a on a wedding. He's made to look like an idiot, so he's he's been wronged. So then it's going across county lines and meeting up with other, you know. And then this is where the hijinks and what I remember the show as a kid. It was all about car crashes and jumps. Yeah, and it's really much about them getting across, you know, state to state and avoiding the cops and doing yeah. know, strange and the, little and it's bits. Just, this is what I love about this movie is just there's just different ways that they get the cops off their tail like one all right yes they'll do a jump over over a creek off a broken bridge they jump the cops miss and they crash that's great i was a big fan of the blues brothers growing up so car crashes and cop cars crashing is just something that i really dug apparently so that happened but then it got not cleverer but just different ways so they're on the cb and the bandit's a legend and everyone's talking bandit you're coming through my town i got just you know a couple of smokies on my tail what are you gonna do oh we can try this rope a dope and they just come up with ways where they hide them between trucks and they just keep blocking so the cops can't see them because they're hiding amongst it. I thought that was really well filmed. The fact that you've got the cop cars on one lane and a couple of semis down the other lane and they've got the bandit hiding behind them and then you you get the snowman come down in his rig and he's weaving between the other trucks so the cops can't see this truck behind these other trucks. It was it was really, really cool. well filmed. Um, yeah. There's another one where they um, there's a funeral, not a parade, but a funeral Procession. Procession, Procession. Going on. yeah. So the guy in the hearse goes, hey, that's a bandit. You need some help. So they just go and slowly get in front of the cop cars and just slow everyone down to give them a chance to get away. There's another one where they ring a diner and they're going, oh, we're going to do this. So they just all the kids get in their cars at this diner and just do loop to loop so they go around the circles so no, the cop cars can't get through. And it's just really fun that they're going through that. And it's pretty basic in the end. I thought more there was more to it. In watching it again, it's like, oh, we got to the end already. It was sort of like, oh, yeah, we've had a couple. And the great thing with this as well is the cop car. Buford T. Justice, we'll get to him in a sec, but they've got this car that first thing they do is they lose a door or they lose the roof. No, they lose the roof The because he goes under the truck. So they, go, they go under a truck and they lose a roof. So he's driving around with no roof on this car. And his son is an idiot. Yeah. Like, he's made, made as Very an idiot. Much. It's like, Daddy, what are we doing? It's like, just shut up. <laughs> you know. But there's a great bit, because they've got no roof now, and they're, they're Georgia cops or whatever, or Arkansas cops. Arkansas cops, yeah. And he's, um, hold on to my hat. So for the rest of the movie, <laughs> the son is holding onto his hat while they drive, so it doesn't get blown off. And it's just, I don't know, I found that hilarious this time. Like, I knew it happened last time, but watching it again, the more I saw it, the more I found it funny. And, yeah, and it is just little things like that. So it's even that scene where he does lose the door, where... They're pulled up on the side of the road with the local policeman. And he's like, well, you know, you're from another state. You don't really have this jurisdiction here. And he opens the door and they've already worded up. Bandit's already been on the CB and worded up another trucker. And the trucker goes really close and clips the door. And then Buford turns around to his son and goes, well, put that in the car. And he puts it in the front seat. And he's like, not in the front, put it in the back sort of thing. And it's, it is. It's just that little bit. Like, I, I don't know a lot about Jackie Gleason. No. But for me, he is perfect in this movie. He's amazing. And apparently he had the the rain to ad-lib a lot. Okay. And so, I mean, he's an icon. Like yep. the Honeymooners is probably what he's most famous for. And so Fred Flintstone is essentially based on him. Okay. But yeah, he's amazing. I think the performance is really good for what is essentially a cheap, not cheap, but a popular action-y film. Yeah. Jackie Gleason is awesome. To watch him in this, you're going, that is an awesome character. And like I said, Snowman is great. Like there's a lot of time it's just him interacting with his dog in a cab of a car. And it's it's quite entertaining, quite well done, considering it's written and directed by a stuntman. You know, it's not like, you Yeah, know, it's not like it's someone who's known for his comedy writing skills or anything like that. Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of it got the right people in the right job. I think so. And they just look like they're having fun making this movie. Yeah, and they're not all just kick-ass. Like the bandit is... 
the bandit. You know, everyone loves him and he's famous for being that, but he's not even, he's a good driver. That's all you get from him. He's not a nice person or he's a great person. He just seems likable. Everyone seems to love him and he can drive a car. <laughs> but I love it because Snowman goes into a diner at one point and gets into a fight, gets his ass kicked. So he's not even good at it. You know, you expect <laughs> no. him to be good, but no. And he, and he talks to the bandit later on the CB saying, what happened? Oh, we got into a bit of a fight. How'd you go? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> As you'd expect. <laughs> so, it's, I don't know. It's just really good. But, yeah, like you said, the cop car lost the roof. It ended up losing a door. And it just gets more and more banged up as it goes along. So, you got this decrepit car by the end of it. Yeah. Still on the run. And it's the dogged pursuit of Buford T. Justice. And it's fantastic. Like, he is fantastic. Yeah. And, and it really gets down to the wire at that last scene. Is like they, they, the local cops, when they get to Atlanta, are kind of worded up that they're coming. And they've got you know, roadblocks set up. And they're at the speedway where they're going to deliver the beer and they have to get the truck onto the, the speedway track and they're kind of like weaving through and stuff and they get there just in time to give Little Enos and Big Enos their truck full of beer. But it wasn't a refrigerated truck. So when they get there, this beer is going to be hot and it's going to be bounced around and it's going to be probably not nice beer. But anyway, they, they get there and they get their money and they give them their beer and Buford is sitting there in his car going oh, if I catch that bandit sort of thing. And there's that really good scene at the end where bandit's on the CB talking to Buford and he's sort of given him a bit of a, an idea of who bandit is and he kind of gives them the description of Big and Little Enos. Enos. And then he turns around at the end and goes, well, hang on, no, that's not right. Look over your shoulder and I'm I'm down sitting in the car next to you. They were offered the 80 grand. They said, what about double or nothing when they deliver the truck? And they go, what do you mean? It's like, well, we want some clam chowder from Boston. Boston. Can you get it back in 18 hours? So they go, "Mm, yeah, all right. So they actually hop in their car, which is a big red convertible with the bullhorns on the front. And they go, yeah, let's do it. So they're they're heading off. So they're in a different car. That's why Buford wasn't looking for them. So yeah, he was giving him the wrong description to sort of put him off the tail and he, he, out of respect he sort of goes no yeah I've been tailed by some of the best and you've been the most the closest that's ever got to me out of respect we're on our way to Boston if you want to come you know if you want to chase so it was just a really cool little film and for nostalgia's sake it's something I must have taped off the telly a lot because I knew it really well I watched it often and I knew Sally Field from The Flying Nun and Gidget, which was on telly a lot when I was a kid. And I think I had a crush on Sally Field. And watching it again now, it's like, I still have a crush on Sally Field. She's damn cute. She is. And, and she has that real sort of innocence about her. Mm. Like, she doesn't really know about CBs and they give her a CB nickname. They call her Frog because she's always croaking or, you know, no, she's all over, jumping all over jumping the place. Around. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And it is. It, she's just likable. And Burt Reynolds just... As I said, he has just so much charisma. And, and like you said, you said he's gone down to saying he's been married twice. He's not married now, but he probably was the love of his life was Sally Field. Mm. And it's sort of like they had a rapport, whether it was just for this movie and whether Hal Needham, Needham's maybe a genius director, I don't know. But Snowman and they all, they were great performances by everyone. Even Sally Field, we haven't talked about her enough in this. And, but her and the bandit have a great banter. And just some of the lines... <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where the snowman goes, she's got a great ass, <laughs> just like, whispering to the bandit, and Sally feels like, I can hear you. <laughs> but it's just, I, don't, I was just really impressed with it. Like, it's just a silly, it is. It's popular just a movie, silly film, but-, but I was... I thought it was so good still. And obviously it works because the budget for this movie was $4.3 million. It was five, and then they pulled a million out at the last minute. But it made $300 million, and apparently in 1977 there was only one movie that was actually higher grossing. A movie in 1977 that made more. 
Woody Allen's Manhattan. No. Oh. Uh, it, it's a little science fiction movie called Star Wars. Yeah, okay. Is the only thing that was higher grossing than it in 1977. So go figure. Yeah. But it was good enough for them to spawn a few sequels. I think it's yeah. three sequels. Actually, there's, a, there's some what, TV movies. Yeah, there's a lot, but there's, there's three official sequels. Three canon films, yeah. but there's only two Bette Reynolds films. Yeah. Because I remember when Smoking the Bandit 3 came out on video, I was so excited. I went and watched it, and a snowman dressed up as, as the bandits going, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> this is just wrong. But yes, but I'll quickly talk about it now. But Smoking the Bandit 2 is one of my favorite films because it's something at the right age. I watched it. And also it has one of my favorite scenes in cinema. I'll, I'll have a top 10 favorite scenes in cinema. And this is one of them. And my memory of it is probably better than actually the actual thing. And I have gone back and rewatched it. And it's not as goosebump creating as it was, but it's still pretty damn good. Where what's popular about the first Smoking the Bandit film? They pretty much made it again. So it's like, but more. So it's more crashes, more jumps, more hijinks with the CB and how do we get the cops off our tail or yep. whatever like that. Have you seen it? I have, but I don't remember okay. it. I think I've probably only seen it once. Yeah. So, but this time, you know, I- Jackie Gleason is obviously such a big part of the first one. You get a lot more Jackie Gleason's in this one. Yeah. Because same thing happens again. Jackie Gleason chasing the bandit. If they've got this long way to go and a short time to get there. And not only that, you get in all the other Bruford T. Justice's relatives, which is Jackie Gleason playing different characters and other people playing relatives of. So the movie escalates to a ridiculous level where, and I'm going to spoil it here because it's going to ruin it, but I want people to see it because it's such an old film. And if you're not looking for it now, you're never going to look for it. But it ends up where you've got, I would say, 50 cars wide of police cars in a line on a salt flat chasing the bandit. So you're watching one car, then behind it, a line of 50 cars wide. And he's on the CB saying, I'm having a bit of trouble here. I need some help. Snowman's going, that's okay. We're fine. I've got some help for you. Look in front. And what you see in front of him is on the salt flat, is one truck that he's heading for and he goes thanks I'm going to need a little more than that and from that scene you get one truck and from that peels another truck from behind and another and and they just fan out and you get truck after truck after truck so you've got 50 cars versus 50 trucks all coming together and it's fucking awesome Yeah, I, I've seen that scene many times yeah. but I haven't seen the movie as many times as I've seen that scene yeah, yeah so I mean just that scene is just a great thing and especially as a what was that 1980-ish you know, as a, so I probably would have seen it later than that. But as a ten-year-old boy, it was the greatest thing ever, mm. and I still feel a little ten-year-old boy when I'm watching it because it's great. <laughs> Take the, the <laughs> stop being such a hillbilly Joe. It's clean, damn it. Okay, well, speaking of the eighties, yep, we'll jump forward another couple of years to 1981, mm-hmm. and Burt Reynolds had. Another movie that for me as a little kid, well, not really a little kid, I would have been 11 when Mm -hmm. this came out. And I think I actually saw this at the cinemas. I'm not 100% sure. I know I saw the Gumball Rally at the cinemas. Oh, but the non-funny version. The non-funny well, version. Well, it's actually meant to be a comedy of sorts, but no, not as out-and-out comedy as this. No, but, but the next movie we're going to talk about is Cannonball Run. By Hal Needham again? Uh, yeah. So, Who actually did the real thing. Because the Cannonball Run is a real thing. It's not a legitimate thing, but is it a, an illegal r- cross-country? Yes. Or, well, from point-to-point point race anyway. Yep. 
across states in America. Yeah, definitely. And it's a real thing amongst drivers where they go, all right, you've got to get from here to here. How you get there is up to you. You can take any track you want, any path you want. The speed limit is up to you if you want to break the law. And the person who gets here in the short amount of time wins. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, so that's the premise of the movie. And we Hal have- Needham did do it. He was involved. So it's the hijinks of a bunch of racers or ballers, as they called in this, as they try and win this race. And they've all got a gimmick. And it kind of reminded me of it's a mad, 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 mad. I'm not sure how many mads I need to put in their world. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that it is a bunch of sort of independent groups all going for the one goal. So you've got a lot of well-known people in this movie by the 80s. So you've got Dom DeLuise as Burt Reynolds sort of crazy sidekick who has an alter ego as Captain Chaos, a superhero. For no real reason. No, no reason at all. And for me, as a kid, I, every time I thought of Dom DeLuise, I always thought of Burt Reynolds. So yes. I think I must have seen Cannibal Run more times than I can really remember. Well, he's in Smoking the Bandit 2. Or maybe I have seen that as a kid then. So I don't, I don't know, but yeah. Because Smoking the Bandit 2, they're actually transporting an elephant and they need a vet and they get Dom DeLuise as the vet the, okay. after the elephant while they're driving. All right. And well, there was a movie called The End. I think it's called The End, where it's, what's the name, has got a terminal disease, I think, Burt Reynolds, and his best mate is Dom DeLuise in that one as well. So they did work together a lot. And I think they were good mates in real life, weren't yes. they? Yeah. Well, well they're one team, mm-hmm. and there's one stage where they're talking about what car they should get to do this race in. Yeah, and they, they go need through- to, So the cops don't pull them over, they need yep. to be quick, they need to do all these sort of things. Yeah, what, and, what? They, and they go through, like, ideas of cars, and uh, he says, oh, why don't we get a black trans am? And Burt Reynolds is like, oh, it's been done before, which I thought was a really good nod back to Smoking the Bandit, but they decide that they're going to get an ambulance yep. because cops won't pull over an ambulance, which mm-hmm. is quite a good idea. But apparently, Hal Needham, when he did it for real, actually that's what they did, did the same ambulance. But yeah, so they're in the ambulance. You've got Jamie Farr, who was Klinger in Mash, playing sort a, of this an Arabic Arabic sheik in this. In a, was it a Rolls Royce Silver Shadow or something? Yep. You've got Roger Moore playing Roger Moore. No, he's playing Seymour. Is who he? thinks he's Roger Moore. Oh, is that what it is? Yes. Okay. So he's he's meant to be a guy who looks like Roger Moore, so he's claiming to be Roger Moore, and he's driving around in the- Aston Martin, isn't Aston it? Aston Martin, yeah. yeah. With all the typical James Bond-type gadgets. Yeah, and, and he is fantastic. Oh, we'll he's get to great. That. Well, then you've got Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. And they're dressed as priests. priests in a Ferrari. <laughs> as you do. And- Dean Martin is an ex-race car driver, like legend, who's now a drunk womanizer, which is pretty much Dean Martin. Party was born to play. Yeah, and Sammy Davis plays a chronic gambler. So you've got Adrian Baboa and Tara Buckman, who are the two good-looking ladies in... Disco pants. Lycra bodysuits with big zips down the front. And they're driving a Lamborghini Countach. Which I love that car at the time. And they're pretty much preying on their looks. Yeah, they they get pulled over by cops. They undo their their cleavage to pull their um, license out of their ample cleavage. And they generally woo the guys. And they're all like, oh, chucks, and let them go. Although there's a couple of continuity errors there because there's one scene where they get pulled over and she's already got her zip undone and then the next scene you see her undo her zip to get her her Mm license out of her bra. But then that all backfires near the end of the film where they get pulled over by a female cop, which I thought was... Not just any female cop. No. No. An uncredited cameo by Valerie Perrine. Is Tess Marker from Superman? Oh, no. The the star of Can't Stop the Music. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. All right. I didn't pick that. No. No, you've also got Jackie Chan and Michael Hu are driving a Subaru. With all computer guided, all sorts yeah, of playing things. a Japanese character, Jackie Chan, that famous Japanese actor. Yeah. But anyway, 
And you've also got Terry Bradshaw and Mel Tillis, who are... Were they football players? Terry uh, Bradshaw? Bradshaw's definitely a football player. Yeah, but they're driving like a... A stock car. A proper stock car, like a NASCAR <laughs> stock car. And they're just drunk the whole time. Yeah. They're just drinking beer. But for me, the concept of this movie seems really good, but watching it again now, it's about 45 minutes in. And they haven't even started the race. They're just establishing who the teams are and what the relationship with the teams and stuff is. Oh, and you've also got Farrah Fawcett is it was she a TV reporter or something like that? A photographer. Yeah, and she and, loves trees. And she's like this old greenie before there was greenies. And then there's the other dude who's trying to shut down the the cannonball who's chasing them all. But Burt Reynolds decides that for the ambulance to work, they need to have a doctor and they need to have a patient. A patient. So they kind of kidnap Farrah Fawcett. To be the patient. And the doctor is this like bizarre drug guy who's actually a veterinarian. Rather proctologist. Than a, yeah, is he a proctologist. proctologist. Yeah. <laughs> and just the look of the guy with his like bulgy eyeballs and that weird finger and stuff. It's it's a very good character. But there's just little throwaway lines where he's like there's one stage where does he inject himself with the yeah. with the thing and, and yeah, he injects himself with his own anesthetic. And then there's a fight scene where they there's a big like punch up with bikies who one of them's played by Peter, Peter Fonda, Fonda is the leader of the bikie and, gang. Yeah, and he's got the syringe and he's like sticks it in one of the bikies to knock him out. And then Dean Martin's like, Oh, can you drink that yeah, stuff? I've never tried. <laughs> but it is a fun end of the movie but as I said it does take a while to get there yeah because watching it again first time in ages and it's like the race was very short it's like oh we at the end already it's like oh because you, like you said, it took so long to establish everybody. And then the hijinks of the race itself was quite short. Yeah. And obviously, I've seen the sequels to this as well. Because I was l- looking for things in this movie thinking, oh, when are they going to do that stunt? Or when are they going to do that? And, th- and it wasn't in it. So, I don't know. My little mind when I was a kid's probably blurred mm. all of the movies together. But when I was a kid, I used to get my Matchbox cars oh, out. Yes. And I used to make my own little cannonball runs. And I'd have you know, the fast cars and the ambulance and you name it. And I would do my own little reenactments of cannonball when I was a kid. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's a villain of the piece that they got in this movie. It's a, he's a, it's quite funny because he's an environmentalist yeah. as the villain, you know, saying all these cars are terrible and they're creating pollution. I remember liking this more. Like, it's still fun for me to watch, but I will watch Smoking the Bandit again soon. I had so much fun where this wasn't as good as I remember it. I think there is bits of this movie that still really hold up. Like, yeah. I, I really like the fight scene. Yep. Because what happens is they're... They're stuck at a train stoppage or there's a block road. Yeah, there's a block road because of roadworks. And there's another team in the in the race that's a famous motorcycle stuntman and is it a millionaire or something that's hired the stuntman to drive with him. And it turns out that he's put on a lot of weight and he's not a very good stuntman anymore. So they're on a motorbike, but he's so fat that they end up doing like a wheelie for most of the race because he's weighing down the back of the and bike. He's, and they, they, they got a theory that police wouldn't stop honeymooners. So they got the fat guy dressed as a woman. As the bride, as as well, just yeah. To be and different. the bikey gang takes offence to this motorcycle, and that's what starts the fight while they're waiting for so the, all the, the cannonballers jumping, going, "Oh, we've got to you know, protect our own, so let's yeah. go defend our own cannonballers." So. Obviously, it gives them a chance for Jackie Chan to go and do some martial arts. Yep. It, it also gives a bit of a chance for Captain Chaos to rock up, up here. Yep. Dom DeLuise with. You know, his mask on and... Well, actually, that's where it starts, because you've got the two guys being beat up, all the cannonballers are there going, well, if we go and help them, well, you know, the road will open and you'll get the advantage. And that's when Captain Chaos turns up to join and help them. So it's like, that's when Burt Reynolds goes, ah, fuck, I'm in. (laughs) So he goes in and that's when everyone else is like, all right, let's go. And Jackie Chan jumps at the chance and everybody's in. And everyone's got their own unique style. 
and you know um, Sammy Davis runs off and gets on the phone to change it and puts more bets on but there's some great moments and there's great setup and jokes like there's certain things that are constant where you've got Jamie Farr's character the shake where you know he's always paying his way out of Everything essentially, he's rich, so he's like pays or doesn't care. They give him a, you know, it cuts to him already getting a ticket, and he goes, "Please don't take what I said about my mother buying the state of California <laughs> as any sort of indication of a bribe." It's fine, and then just doesn't care. And they drive up to a drive-through, a, a, a um, a diner. Yeah, and it's the, the woman comes out and hands him food and says, "We've never done a, a phone order before." It's like <laughs> that didn't exist back in 1981. Yeah. But you know, there's like, keep the change, and he gives him a gives her a ring, and it was, it was like six hamburgers, fries, and drinks. And what did she say it cost in 1981? Oh, I can't remember the exact figure. Four dollars fifty. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like what that was like the food they had in Smoking the Bandit. I noticed it was like a dollar fifty for a burger, and drink, and something else. It's yeah. like, oh my god, how much how cheap were things? But you had this ongoing jokes with different characters. So this Roger Moore character, he always had a different girl in the car. Every time you cut to him, it was a girl and he was telling stories of James Bond stories and stuff like that. But like it cuts back, you know, the next time you see him, it's a different girl in the car again. So it's just But they had that ongoing joke where it was always like they'd go to light the cigarette and he'd be like, don't Don't touch touch that that one. Which then comes in at the end when he's sitting in the car and he actually touches the cigarette lighter and ejector seats himself out of his car. But it's funny seeing Roger Moore take the piss out of himself. As well, which is great, which, you know, rest in peace, Roger. But um, he's, that's why, probably why he's my Bond. Like, him and Adam West are just so similar in that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Character about themselves, and they obviously don't take themselves seriously. Like, they're very serious at what they do, but, you know, they can they can laugh at themselves, which is fine. But, yeah, I did love this movie, and I don't think I saw part two anywhere near as much as this one. But Burt Reynolds doesn't like this movie as much as he liked the others. Like, he, he considers Smoking the Bandit his most fun film he's made. But, yeah, this one he sort of regretted. He was probably doing more a favour for Hal Needham on this one. Yeah, as I think so. Smoking the Bandit. But he's definitely the star of it. But it's a, definitely an um, oh, ensemble it's, it's piece. It's definitely an ensemble so many others. But you can sort of see that by the 80s, he'd probably peaked. Well, I said he was the most bankable star from 77 to 81. So these are these two movies. Yeah. It's Smoking the Bandit to Cannibal Run 1 is where he is at the top of his game and popularity. Well, Cannibal Run didn't quite make quite as much money as, as Smoking the Bandit did. Mm-hmm. So the budget for this movie was $18 million. Yep. And you can see based on the cast itself that a lot of that just went on actors' salaries. Yep. And just the cost of getting the cars themselves because there were some pretty expensive cars in there. Yes. But it only made $72 million. Okay. But again, it was still enough to warrant a couple of sequels. And again, as I said, I, I think I've seen the sequels, but I don't remember enough of them because I they all kind tell of you just what happens in yeah. They they all kind of just mold into one. I'm definitely interested to go back and watch it now, just Maybe. to see what they do. But yeah. yeah, I do not remember two at all. I know Frank Sinatra does a cameo in too. Sammy Davis and Dee Martin. They sort of, they're a bit where he pulls up and they go, do you want to come with us? And he's like, no. <laughs> that's his little cameo. So that's one thing I do remember from it and that's it. And there was a monster truck in it because I think they were pretty new at the time and it got a flat tire. Oh, okay. that, that's that's all I remember from two. Yeah. If well, I saw it again, I'd probably go, oh yeah, that and that and that. But mm, yeah, if, if you ask me right now, they're the two things I remember. I have this real memory of a scene where they get, a, is it a Lamborghini or a, or a something just some sort of sports car and they go across a lake and it kind of skims across the top of the lake like a stone I thought that was in the first one but it it wasn't so I think that must be in one of the sequels and I think they did that on Mythbusters they tried to do it to see if you could actually really skim a car I can't remember so that's a story that goes nowhere (laughs) 
But anyway, so after this, I think his star was fading. Yep. So he went back to television. Well, he did the best little high house in Texas. But yeah, he didn't. To me, growing up, I was at that right age, and this was on telly a lot or whatever. He was the man. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd watch anything with him in it if it was. Oh, the other one we're probably not talking about that's in my wheelhouse of movies I grew up watching was um, The Longest Yard. Yeah, and I I did kind of think about trying to watch that again, but I didn't get around to it because... I was too busy watching other stuff. Yep. But yeah, that that's probably the other one that you would think, yeah, that's So around a, a that right one. age and this was later than this too, so we didn't get a video till nineteen eighty four. Sex scribe. So and that would have been in rot- high rotation. Oh, yeah, yeah, so the longest yard, Cannonball Run and Smoking the Bandit were constantly on rotation in my little youth at the time. Mm. So my my respect and wanting to be Burt Reynolds and loving Sally Field was definitely what's going on right there and there. Yeah. But yeah, he went kind of downhill a little bit after this. He did have a bit of a resurgence in television. He did Evening Shade, I think it was. He was Yeah, he did he got some gigs, but never to the any sort of heights. And he did movies like Strip Tease, which was sort of an embarrassment for him. I think no tash, that's what would probably hurt him on that one. Probably. He did do the remake of The Longest Yard and was quite good in that. And he obviously famously you you know, he got an Academy Award nomination for doing Boogie Nights in 98. 97. 97. So, and that was where it was like the first time he's ever, like he, they reckon Deliverance probably should have got an Academy Award potentially. Yeah. But that was against The Godfather that year. So, yeah, exactly. You know, probably not. But, you know, that was the closest he ever got to any sort of awards after that was Boogie Nights. And it's a movie he hated. Like after seeing, he actually fired his agent after watching the movie for the first time thinking, what have I made? Mm. And he took ages to say yes to it too. He didn't really want to make it. And he hated Paul Thomas Anderson. And yep. in the end, you know, he got yeah, his best gig, performance out exactly. of it. Exactly. We, we could talk Boogie Nights, but I think we'll it probably, that, think. yeah, we'll, we'll save talk that for its own episode. 70s, 80s, Bert, at this point. But the worst thing was, I went back and watched Boogie Nights, and you're thinking, he looks still pretty good for his age. And you look at him in the longest yard, he looks okay. Yeah. But looking at his wiki today, there was a recent picture of him, and I'm depressed now. Yeah, he doesn't he's look old. good now. But he's obviously still in people's minds, because he's a character in uh, one of the Grand Theft Auto games. And Saints Row the Thing. And yeah, he plays the mayor in Saints Row. So he is still a thing. Yeah, for people our age is a thing. He did get sick recently, though, didn't he? Didn't he have sort of liver cancer or something? He has, He wasn't good. Yeah, and there was that rumour that he was going to die, but um, obviously he's come out of that and he's still you know, not as good as he ever was. But it's good to see that he is still alive. Well, he. all right, here, here you go, if you want a health update. All right. While filming City Heat, Reynolds was struck in the face with a metal chair and had temporomandibular... <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he the character in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Temporambular, <laughs> joint dysfunction. He lost 30 pounds from not eating. The painkillers he was prescribed led to addiction, which took several years to break. Reynolds went, underwent back surgery in May 2009 and a quadruple heart bypass in February 2010. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's old. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've established. And yeah, looking at this photo of him going, no, I mean, I've lost, you know, I've lost my Batman. I've lost my James Bond this year. Don't want to lose my bandit. No, it's it's. It, this is our heroes are getting old, and that's scary to see. It's like oh, well, it's because we're getting old. I know. I don't. I don't want to admit that. No. <laughs> All right. So, Ed, like you said, he he is what he's in his seventies now. Seventies. Mm-hmm. My maths is terrible. Thirty six. What does that make him? Seventy one. So he's he's you know he's an old man now. But no matter how old he gets, and you know, one day obviously he is going to pass. But we've still got these classic films. We've still got the bandit, exactly. And 
of the three films that we talked in depth tonight, I, I think Smoking the Bandit for me is the epitome of Burt Reynolds. Mm-hmm. If someone said, oh, "Who's this Burt Reynolds guy? What you know? What's he done?" You would say, "Go and watch Smoking the Bandit." You know, that's Burt Reynolds. Yeah, if, watching that again, he's funny. Like his his delivery is great. He's almost like when you say Han Solo, I never knew he was one of the guys who auditioned for Han Solo, or they wanted for Han Solo. But he could definitely have played it. He's got that dry sarcasm, smugness down. too. Yeah, like he would have been fine. He would have been Burt Reynolds though. Where who's Harrison Ford before Han Solo to me? You know he, you know, so it, it would have been. Oh, that's Burt Reynolds in a Star Wars movie, as opposed to that's that's Han Solo. It would have been interesting in that way, but I think he definitely would have had a similar take on the character. But he would have been a lot more funny, I think. Mm, whether he probably would have been, yeah. So it it was interesting that and. I love Saturday Night Live of a certain era, and I love Norm Macdonald's version of Ted Ferguson. Yeah, of Burt Reynolds. Like he he did a character of Burt Reynolds on Celebrities Jeopardy skits. So look on YouTube if you haven't seen it; they are fantastic. But I didn't realize how accurate. Oh yeah, they are, they are, aren't they? Uh, it's like you're watching. I'm watching. You know, smoking the band. It's like you are. He is Ted Ferguson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like because like it's an oversized hat. <laughs> That's what it is. It's it's yeah. it's amazing his take on the Burt Reynolds character. Like it's. An impersonation he doesn't look anything like him but he sort of encompasses the role that is Burt Reynolds and delivers it beautifully and unfortunately that's a, such a good impersonation that's just every year it's getting older and more lost on people yep. but it's I want to see that <laughs> in the same way they did a MacGruber movie where they took the piss out of MacGyver with the character I want to see Norm Macdonald playing Burt Reynolds in a film because I just <laughs> want to see that version of Burt and like he's got a, a weird take on the Burt Reynolds character and it's hilarious mm. and I love that so that's that's probably my, if anything, besides making the bandit, Norm Macdonald's version of Bert is almost my Bert more than anything. <laughs> if there's anything to go back on. All right. Well, that's probably a nice place for us to wrap up this month. So jump on the Facebook, give us some feedback, tell us who your Bert is. <laughs> so, yes, we are facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. You can find us on our website. We are themapodcast.podbean.com. We are the MA Podcast on Twitter. And if you have any feedback, yeah, let us know. Tell us what you think of Burt Reynolds. Yes. Hopefully you love him as much as we do. Yeah. Yeah. And until next episode, thank you, Mitch. Thank you. And this has definitely brought up a few memories, and I, th- I think I'll go back and try and watch some of those sequels. I'm going to go watch some Gidget. I uh, See, I'm not. I'm going to try and watch one of the Cannibal Run sequels or Smoking the Bandit 2, probably. Not the Flying Nun? No. That's for a Sally Field podcast. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Bye-bye. He's bounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm he's bound just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal, some never mind them brakes. Let it all hang out cause we gotta run to make. The boys are thirsty in Atlanta and there's beer in Texarkana. And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm eastbound just watch old bandit run
We gonna do what they say can't be done We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm eastbound up, watch old bandit run Old Smokey's got them ears on He's hot on your trail And he ain't gonna rest till you're in jail So you got to dodge him, you got to duck him You gotta keep that diesel truckin' Just put that hammer down and give it hell He's bound to die, load it up and truck it We gonna do what they say can't be done We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm he's bound up and it runs When I was just nuts for trucks. Yeah.